1: Inside sources. Inside sources. Inside sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, America's elite universities, Yale, Harvard, other Ivy League schools, currently enjoy the centuries-old benefit of being tax exempt. An exemption that was granted to them due to their immensely important task in those days of elevating the public through education, but with a, an organization like Harvard that has fifty-three billion in the bank uh, in the endowment, do they really need that exemption? And what is the rest of us? What is the uh, public, the taxpayers? Getting as a benefit, is it really elevating the uh, public as it was uh, back in the early days of education? And this is what we've been trying to take a, a deep dive at, looking at all of these things. We've heard a lot about uh student loan forgiveness. And one component, we've talked about uh, the need for reform uh, and why the cost of colleges continues to go up. And in a really extraordinary piece, you need to read this. uh, Evan Mandry is a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He's also an author uh, and wrote a very powerful piece in Politico uh, talking about where we are with that higher education, especially a lot of those elite schools. And he joins us on the line. Evan, thanks for jumping on with us today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Good afternoon.
1: Yeah, And so let's get into the, the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, you, you actually made the very interesting uh, association and connection that this is one area uh, that former President Trump probably got right in terms of, of that connection, in terms of what's going on at some of those elite universities. But kind of give us the lay of, lay of the land.
2: Um, you know, in terms of left and right, I mean, I, I think uh, um, Donald Trump's speech in 2016, and it was actually about access. I mean, um, Republicans have attacked elite universities for a long time for two different angles, one part of the culture war. and I'm not so interested in that. Yeah. But I'm very interested in the access angle. And um, Trump was right in the speech I mentioned in that article in Politico, which, which is, um, you know, one data point. Yale pays its investment managers about three times as much as it spends on financial aid every year. Wow
1: that's uh that's an extraordinary number half, and a, a,
2: half, a, billion, <laughs> half a billion dollars by the way <laughs> half, half a billion
1: is a, is a big number uh, to, to be managing yeah, more that. than I get, more than I get at my uh,
2: public university <laughs> <professor>. Sorry.
1: <laughs> uh, and, and I love the I love the fact that you focused uh, not on the culture world component we're not interested in that either it it really is this access because that was really the reason they were given this status to begin with was to really impact upward mobility
2: I, unsatisfying when you look at the history of this is there's no moment where there was a considered decision um, to uh, bestow this tax exemption upon elite universities. It mostly came from their history of training ministers. It has to do with their religious ties, the institutions that they're founding. And, you know, I'm not necessarily against treating them as tax-exempt. I'm against treating them as tax-exempt without people getting something in return. Right. And, you know, I have kind of three measures of doing good that I could imagine. One, that they um, admit a socioeconomically diverse group of students, which they most emphatically do not. Second, that they admit a racially diverse uh, cohort of students, which almost none of them do. Or third, that they promote do-gooders, and they don't do that. They cultivate about 60% of Harvard graduates either go into management consulting investment banking, or technology. It's almost the reverse where I teach. About 60% of John Jay students, CUNY students, the City University of New York, go into public service.
1: Yeah. And so let's, let's dig into each of those just real quickly. Uh, first, let's talk about that engine of class mobility. Uh, you gave some examples uh, in terms of how that just really isn't it, that diversity in terms of economics is uh, just not there in, in places like Princeton and, and others
2: not, and, and I think, um, you know, when I go back to, like, kind of what got me interested in telling this story, it's that the, the truth is almost exactly the opposite of what it's represented to be. So, you know, of course, Ivy League colleges do admit some poor students, and they do give financial aid to students um, who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to go, and that is a good, but um about is 20 to 40 times more commonly they admit rich students who they keep rich. So one way I look at the data, um, which you may know from Raj Chetty and John Friedman and within the Times, the Mobility Report cards, but if you look at, say, um, the Princeton 10th anniversary class, about 40 times as many of those people would be rich people who either remained rich or got richer versus poor kids who were promoted out of poverty.
1: Wow. Uh, and that uh, that becomes the interesting thing in terms of uh, these colleges really being – you described it as being the gatekeepers, uh, kind of the uh, super elite jobs, uh, national agenda kinds of things. Uh, so so how do we start breaking this down uh, and actually getting to a place where we can have a measurable outcome result to say, okay, uh, we may allow you to keep your tax-exempt status, but you you got to show us some results in some space. Yeah, some,
2: de- some deliverables. Um, I, I just want to say first that I think we have to get people to understand what the truth is. This is funny. I don't even know if uh, you wouldn't believe it, but it's true. It's what I, so I'm going to have a piece out in The Atlantic um, either tomorrow or Friday, which is an adapted chapter of my book. And I'm going through fact-checking right now. And I have in there that the mean income of a Stanford family, the, uh, you know, a family of a Stanford student is $472,000. And they don't believe it. They go, this must be a mistake. And I'm like, no, 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 that's the whole point of why I'm writing the book. It's not even, I think Stanford comes in 14th. Middlebury tops the list at $550,000. And this is actually slightly dated data. So for starters, we have to acknowledge the reality of it. And then, you know, my answer to your question, I mean, it could look different in different schools. And I could imagine different reasonable solutions to this. But how about we start by requiring these schools to publish the socioeconomic diversity data, right? Let's see who they're actually letting in, and let's set some floors that they can't go below, a certain minimum number of Pell Grant students and a minimum number of kids who are genuinely poor. Um, and, you know, we could go from there, but, but that would be a start.
1: Yeah, those are those are all crucial things. We will watch for your piece uh, coming out in the Atlantic uh, and uh, your book as well. When does that come out?
2: Uh, October twenty fifth, and uh, I so appreciate. <laughs> You know, uh, you don't get to pick the title for your article, and uh, I so appreciate that you weren't interested in the culture war components <laughs> of this because I think the access piece is really what's important, it, and I appreciate you elevating the conversation. Thank uh, you.
1: Well, no, we appreciate you being on, and we're always looking beyond the headlines and the and the clickbait that, that everyone's doing out there uh, because we believe it's the think-again moment. It's the underneath those headlines that really matter, and I think you've tapped into something uh, that – Across the political spectrum, people ought to agree on, and uh, our leaders in Washington I, I, ought to figure out how to get a, a real solid solution, too. I, I, I agree. Thank All you. Right. All right. Wonderful. So grateful to have uh, on the program today. Watch for his piece in The Atlantic coming up in the next couple of days. Also watch for his uh, book coming out. It's Evan Mander. He's a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, uh, author, and, and really taking on this whole idea of why is it that we're giving higher education a tax-exempt status, especially many of those elite Uh, universities that are sitting on billions and billions and billions of dollars. And, and what is the common good? What is the good to community and to country that we're really getting out of that by them not paying taxes. And I think there can be some, and it needs to be based on outcomes and it needs to be based on if we really are lifting people out of poverty, let's do that. But if the, if the means, I love the fact that he said, this is the mean income uh, at, at of a freshman at one of these colleges is is five hundred thousand dollars. That's the mean. Uh, so you're clearly not getting the diversification there in many ways. You're creating more stratification uh, and more gatekeeping uh, by the elites. And I think that's a conversation we we have to get to. We're going to get to a whole different conversation. About education coming up in the back half of the program. Richard Williams is going to join us uh, from Utah Tech University for a great conversation in terms of how do you have people ready to contribute in the workforce, make a difference, make a living, and make a difference in community. Stick around, much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News
0: Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they
3: all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today